Welcome back to Dropped In. I am so honored to share our exceptional guest with you today, Vin Infante. Vin is a mental performance coach, therapist, mentor, and speaker. With over a decade in mental health, Vin aims to impact 1 billion lives positively with his transformational methods. I know you are going to love this episode just as much as I loved interviewing Vin. In this episode, we drop into all things overcoming anxiety, depression, fear, changing adversity into empowerment, how to maintain high energy levels, the power of the subconscious mind, vision boarding, visualization, and so much more. I cannot wait for you to drop in and listen. And before we drop in, I want to share a message from our sponsor, Satnam Sessions. Satnam Sessions is your wellness studio, jam-packed, filled with breathwork, meditations, power practices, and full kundalini yoga and meditation practices to really support you in coming home to your truth, coming home to your center, really learning to clear out the noise and tune into your voice as you drop into your self-sourced power. Be sure to check out the notes and receive your free 14-day trial. And without further ado, let's get dropped in with Vin. To dropped in, Vin, I am so stoked to have you here and to welcome you into our community and to really drop in and have an incredible conversation on all things mental health. So how are you doing today? How are you feeling? I'm doing pretty great. I'm just hanging out. It's been a very productive day. So that actually is one of the biggest things that always gets me, I don't know, I guess gets me going, right? Like I, I just came upstairs to, to record this podcast with you. And I saw my girlfriend in the in the kitchen and I was like, oh man, I feel great today. I've been so productive. I got so much done and I'm just rocking and rolling. <laughs> Love it. I love it. That is the absolute best feeling for sure. So I would love to drop in with you today. So, um, you know, you and I have a lot of things in common and my history before I got into the work that I do now, uh, I was working in mental health and addictions as a nurse. Um, mm. And I would love to know just kind of your perspective on your experience in working in the field of mental health and what kind of led you into the work that you do today. Okay. So <clears throat> I've been in mental health for over a decade now. I've been in it since I was 18. I'm now 32. So I've been doing it for a while. I've been in every setting you can think of. I've worked in inpatient units, outpatient, hospital clinic, homeless shelter, private practice, department of education. I did ABA, applied behavioral analysis. I was a traveling home therapist. And well, now I'm a mental performance coach. So I've had a lot of time in the field. 
and I pretty much dedicated my whole life to it and still continue to do so just in a different capacity now. Mm, I love it. I love it. And what inspired you to get into this work? Like, what what is the backstory? Is there a reason why you got into this and why you're so passionate about it? Well, as a kid, I always wanted to be a therapist. And my dad's a therapist. So it had kind of put me on the trajectory because I really love my dad. I think he's great. I always admired him and looked up to him. And I always wanted to become a therapist. And I had also always wanted to become a firefighter. So I had two big childhood dreams, which was to do both of these separately, but in tandem at the same time. And so funny enough, you know, I also had a variety of issues I had to deal with growing up. I got bullied. I was diagnosed with depression. I was diagnosed with anxiety. I was diagnosed with panic disorder. I was diagnosed with, um, actually, sorry, this wasn't a diagnosis, but I had a lot of suicidal ideation. I had self-harm tendencies. So I had encountered a good bit of issues throughout my life that really made me really made me work hard to redevelop and grow myself into the man that's sitting here today. And so though I got into it initially because of my dad, it then transmuted and transformed to figuring out my own issues and wanting to help alleviate the world and help people get out of suffering because I know what it's like to live as a victim for most of your life. I also know what it's like to finally find the personal freedom and empowerment within to let go of victimhood and stand in strength, truth, and power and create the life you desire. I love it. I love it. There's so much power in that. And, you know, I'm a firm believer that the greatest healers, I don't know if you identify with the word healer, but the greatest individuals that are here to support others along their healing journey and returning home to themselves have really come from the darkest path, like the murkiest of waters. Would you agree? I would say so. I think, I think being on this journey takes a lot and I don't believe that it's for everyone, right? I don't believe everyone is meant to help others because it requires a lot of patience. It requires a lot of kindness. It requires a lot of love. And that's something that's not very easy to give or extend to others unless you've either had some extensive form of not having it yourself, or you've come to this place in life where you're just so abundant, you want to share it with others. And I mean, at least statistically, most people are living in survival. So I don't think we're going to get a lot of people that are just experiencing love sharing it with others. So it must be the latter, right? It would probably go to the fact that there are these people who have these experiences and want to give back because to some degree, we've come out of them and we want to then empower others to do the same because we know what it's like to live on both sides of the fence. Mm-hmm. 100%. 100%. And so what like, what made you decide to shift from working as a psychotherapist into this world of coaching? Like, What was the catalyst for that? I stopped believing in traditional psychotherapy. I just didn't feel like it was very effective. I didn't really feel like it was helping people. I think there are things I probably could have learned that would have made it a better service. I don't think it was just psychotherapy in and of itself. However, I also do look at the current psychotherapy model as a business model, right? Like you come in 10 to 15 years, you have the same issue, you haven't figured out how to work out and you go, you see your 
doctor and you get your meds and everybody gets a paycheck for a very long period of time, as long as you don't get better. And it seemed very interesting that there are people out there that are actually changing lives like Tony Robbins, which is where I got my coaching certification under was uh, Tony Robbins training program. And I was curious, like I saw this guy who's not a therapist, who has no credentials, who has nothing to his name, except for a desire to help people. And he's taking people that are in therapy for 10 to 15 years, 20 years with deep phobias, and he's helping them in 15 minutes. Like when you know that that exists, you have to question the model, right? Because I'm sitting here with clients who aren't getting better. They've been in and out of therapy for 10 years, and now they're coming to me and they're still not getting better. And I'm just like, well, that's normal, right? Because that's what I was told. Sometimes you might've heard this. Sometimes the process, and I'm doing the air quotes, because sometimes they say the process is just sitting with the client, even if they're getting no results, even if they're making no progress, even if nothing's happening, part of the process is just sitting there. And I stopped wanting to accept that when I started seeing that people actually do have some crazy capacity to change. So how is it that they are still so stuck? And that's what I really, really, really wanted to figure out. And that's what led me into the coaching trajectory because I felt like this work teaches me something different. It could be more impactful. There's different things that I've learned in coaching that have created drastic changes that were never taught to me in school and psychology. So I had saw that and I started getting amazed by it. And I knew I had to go deeper and deeper into this. Hmm. So good. So good. Um, side note, my first certification was through Tony Robbins as well. So that's very cool. Nice. Um, so for me growing up, I, I was bulimic for 18 years. I was diagnosed with anxiety and depression. And I remember like going to my counselor and just being like, just talking. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with talk therapy. I'm not saying that by any means. But I know I, I would go to therapy and I would just, I didn't feel like talking or telling the truth because I was just in my, my story. Mm. And so I knew that there had to be a different way. But then I went to my doctor and shared with her what was going on. She put me on antidepressants. And I was like, again, side note, there's nothing wrong with taking medication if, if it is aligned for you. Um, However, I knew I had to get to the root. I had to get to the root of the matter as to what was causing the depression and the anxiety and in turn the eating disorder. So I love that you have really come into the face of the coaching world. And because oh, for me, what really supported me was when I started working with coaches and when I started working with the subconscious mind, working with hypnotherapists and such, which mm. really helped me move beyond the eating disorder, if you will. Yeah, that's great that you went on that journey. And I think that one of the one of the reasons I also do what I do, at least now, and this was like new purpose, is I want to create a different way that people look at mental health. I think there's use for therapy. I think there's use for coaching. I think it's useless to say that they should be separate because each one is the complement or the strength to the opposite's weakness. If you get stuck when working with a coach, chances are it's because you haven't fixed crap from your past. And so coaching is going to be wildly ineffective for you, 100%. Like, that's what I know. If you are stuck and you're just sitting there talking about your past over and over and over, and you're not being challenged to build a new future, 
That's where coaching will help. And you are stuck in therapy. And that's why therapy is going to be ineffective for you. And so as I looked at these things, I started realizing I have an opportunity because I have both backgrounds, because I did the therapy and now I'm doing the coaching, that I have an opportunity to create a very unique hybrid approach that is going to offer aspects of therapy, mentoring, and coaching into the practice I do with my clients. And that's why we get great results. And I say we, because it's a team effort. I give the client the tools, they execute, we get results. And that is only because I utilize and mix both modalities. And I add in these extra aspects that most people aren't either capable of doing or aren't doing because it's so singular. And so I don't want there to be, you know, don't go to therapy, don't go to coaching, but I'll tell you why both of them tend to fail. And it's because of the reasons I just outlined. So if we could get more mental health professionals to get basically uh, either licensed in therapy or more mental health professionals to get certified in coaching and just learn what the other has to offer. So that both parts of this side uh, of, of this field aren't fighting with each other as they currently are. I think a lot of people will get so much better results and see there will, there'll be so much more growth for people overall. Mm-hmm. So true. So true. Yeah. And, you know, I still go to therapy. I still go uh, to my therapist to work through whatever is occurring in my life. So uh, I'm a firm believer in both worlds and mm. they do 100% complement each other dramatically. Um, so how specifically do you support people then? Is it primarily through one-on-one? Do you do, what are your offerings that you, that you have for others to work with you? Sure. So currently I do one-on-ones and it's a very, you know, it's a very intimate experience, right? Um, when I work with my clients, we'll meet a few times a month. We, they have 24 seven access to me through text messages on request phone calls. And, you know, from there, we just kind of commit to a time frame, right? Three, six or 12 months. I'm currently developing a coaching community. I'm also working on building out a mastermind. And I also have another business named Vibly, which I'm a co-founder of, and we have basically support groups for entrepreneurs. And so it is Mm -hmm. not only for accountability and goal setting, but it is also mental and emotional check-ins because I think that's super important, especially for business owners. So you can work with me in my coaching company. You can work with me in my other company called Vibly, but there's many different options uh, for people who are looking to get their foot in the door, especially as I roll out these new programs with my coaching. Very cool. And as I was um, just getting to know you online, I saw your founder of Vively. And so let's talk about that because that's really inspiring. So Kajabi, how about you share with me as opposed to me assuming what occurred there, but the community aspect I love. So I was actually talking with, <laughs> this guy became my best friend. His name is Faze. And him and I met in New York. He was here on a trip and we were both trying to learn about NFTs, but not really. Uh, I met him during a, a event time called NFT NYC. And so there were tons of crypto events going on. I didn't really know anything about crypto. And so I was like, eh, you know, I should probably go and try and learn. So I got invited to this random event. I went out. Met this dude at the club and we just exchanged numbers. I thought he was cool. He thought I was cool. Then we wound up spending like the next four days that he was in Manhattan hanging out every day. And then he went back to Atlanta and we kept in touch. 
And he referred me some clients and he was running a startup. He actually created a company. Now he's already co-founded and left a few companies, but he was building another. And him and I were talking a lot and I actually became a, uh, one of his, I don't know if I was his first, but I was one of the initial investors in his startup. And so I did some angel investing and I invested in the startup because I really, really believed in him. You know, a lot of the times when people think about investing in a company, um, if you've ever played in the stock market or anything like that, the biggest piece of advice that, that well, this is not financial advice, disclaimer, <laughs> the biggest piece of advice <laughs> I would give when you look at making an investment is look at the quality of the product, right? Like, would you use, like, would you buy Apple stock? Chances are, if you use AirPods, if you use iPhones, uh, if you use iWatch, you should probably invest in Apple stock. It means you believe in the product. You're invested in it. I really liked him as a person. I loved his drive. I loved what he represented. I loved how hard he worked. I loved his attitude. And I really believed in the company he was building. So I invested in it. In doing so, we grew even closer. And I actually wound up coaching and I was helping him through the ups and downs of his entrepreneurship journey because being a founder is extremely hard. Like I thought being a coach and a business owner or an operator of one, whatever we want to call it, was difficult. You have no idea what it's like to raise funds, get rejected, try and create a product, deal with developers, build this, build that. I do now because I've been working with him and I actually wound up working with a lot of startups, but I really, really loved what he was doing. He wound up selling, uh, the, the other business got acquired and he had an idea that he kind of came to me with. And he said, you know, it was really crazy. I think if you weren't there for me as a, as a founder, I don't know if I would have been able to really get through. He goes, you were the biggest person in my corner. Mm -hmm. He goes, I want to create a community that will then be the future of supporting entrepreneurs. He's like, I want to build this thing. I think it'd be super helpful. And we could get a lot of people in here and we could really make this something that's valuable to the world. And we had also talked about, you know, in the future as we grow, and this was something that I had, had informed him about, it's very hard being a coach. If you look at the average salary of coaches in the US, they make between 30 to 50,000 a year per lifetime. And so it's very hard being a coach, but there's a lot of people out there that are good intentioned and want to do it and they can't build themselves up. They don't know how to build the connections to do this or do that. And so as we grow viably, we want to hire on coaches and we want to pay them over $100,000 a year to mm -hmm. be moderators of our viably community and be moderators to help out with these groups and really help these people in, in our community. So that's how we kind of created this vision of me designing the product side and how we're going to support people and then how we're going to train and hire coaches and how we're going to pay them we wanted to build support for that end. And then we wanted to build support to help entrepreneurs who need help with achieving goals, who need help with accountability, who probably don't have many support systems because it's lonely as an entrepreneur, who could use the mental emotional check-ins. Because when's the last time somebody asked their business owner, like, how's life, right? Because everybody thinks you're a business owner. Life's good. Like, look at you. You work for yourself. Life's good. And that's usually the biggest load of bullshit that ever comes about. Because life's really hard as a business owner. Entrepreneurship is not for everyone. That's why only 5% of people succeed in their you know, first year of entrepreneurship. And after that, only 2% of people are profitable. So, I mean, the reality is there's a big, big need for this. And I don't know if anyone's doing it right. 
but we're damn well going to try. Mm. I love it. I love it so much. And it's funny, as you share this, I was thinking entrepreneurship is really the only thing that we would give up like a 40 hour work week to work 80 hours a week, <laughs> right? Like, oh, yeah. If only we knew when we say, yes, I'm going to be a therapist or a coach or whatever, uh, dive into the entrepreneurial journey, what it really takes to hold the vision and to show up for your vision and to really just wear one of many hats, right? Like it's 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 definitely not for the faint of heart. So I love that you're creating this and innovating this and it's, it's so inspiring. I'm super excited for you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited too. Who knows yeah. where it's going to go? <laughs> so your vision is to, I believe, impact billions, one billion lives. So how specifically would you love to do that? I, I'm so inspired by that. That's that's an incredible vision to have. Well, it's definitely not going to be through one-to-one coaching. <laughs> that's going to take a lot of time. I, I haven't I haven't sat down and calculated the number, but I imagine meeting with a billion people one-to-one would probably take me the better part of a hundred lifetimes, maybe more. <laughs> so reincarnation ain't a thing. It'll never happen, but I have a different plan, right? So my intention is to do that through speaking engagements, talking to big audiences. I also look at trickle down effects. All of my clients, including what we do in Vibly, are entrepreneurs. They're all people that have the ability to influence others. They're all people that through what they do impacts more than one life as well. So I believe if I can work with enough people in a bigger capacity, or if I could build something that could be supportive to enough people, the billion will just happen, right? And I think there's multiple ways to do it. Like I also donate to charity, uh, to a few organizations that I, I really, really like. And that's another way of helping it helping people. But here, here's the here's the fun little secret about that goal. That is my deepest desire, right? However, I'm not tracking it because mm -hmm. I never want to know if I hit it because I don't care. It's more like I want to do this. And if I hit it, cool. But I also just want to keep thinking I don't hit it because there's really like, if I help a billion people, do I then stop helping people? Mm. Like, I don't really intend to stop, so why bother to track it? It's just I want the world to know. And most of the reason I tell people is that I, I'm, I want to do this big number is because I believe I'm going to need the help of a lot of people to do it because nobody succeeds alone. No. And so when I came up with that number, one, it felt right. And two is I wanted people to feel like if they support me on this journey, they are a part of something great. Mm. And that is my hope is that people get on board to support me in this journey. And they get excited about potentially being a part of impacting a billion or more lives. Mm, I love it. That is a vision I can get behind it for sure. <laughs> well, so, we're doing it, right? Who knows how many people are listening to this? We're doing it. We're doing it. Those are some incredible facts about coaches making between 30 to 50K a year. Like that's mind boggling. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. It is crazy. I feel like it, it you know, and I, I don't, I don't know super, super, super deep into the facts, right? But I would assume with those numbers, it's probably a few things. One, probably most coaches are doing it part time because, like I said before, a lot of, a lot of coaches don't know how 
to do like build something, right? They don't know how to jump into it full time. So what do they do? They'll do coaching on the weekends. They'll coach their friends and family for like 20 bucks a session, or they'll do it um, randomly, if even at all, because they got the certification and then somebody needs help and they're like, oh, I'll help you. But there was no intention to get the client. And so I believe that's probably the bigger cause for such terrible numbers. Although, hypothetically speaking, well, maybe not hypothetically, factually speaking, social work. Social work is one of the lowest paid uh, professions in the US. The average social worker makes roughly the same amount as your average life coach, which is funny in, in a not so funny way, right? But <laughs> it could be, it could be that it's also something along those lines. A lot of coaches don't know how to you know, get their value. A lot of coaches don't know how to sell themselves. A lot of coaches don't know how to find more ways to create impact or provide value or whatever the case is, right? But it is that it is that really low number for so many people. So, I mean, how do we how do we even help coaches? And that was something I was thinking about when you know, essentially creating Vibly too. Is I want to support people that want to make a difference. And this would be one way to do it. Mm. Yeah, creating the ripple effect. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm here for. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like you have a lot going on in your world. You are wearing many hats, as we have discussed in today's show. How do you maintain these high energy levels? Because from what I'm receiving from you, you have a really high energy, positive vibe about you. So how do you maintain those levels? Okay. So one is I don't watch any news. Because I don't care about what's going on in the world. Because realistically, I'm not going to do anything about it. So there's no point for me to get consumed by it. That's the biggest thing that I have to tell, like, I don't know, maybe 70% of my clients when they come to me. I'm like, stop watching the news. Get the hell off social media. So that's a big, big part of it. Number two is I'm a big believer in happiness as work. I don't think you could take a day off from building it. It's much like a business. You have to show up every day if you want to see it improve. So the happiness formula is getting your life closest or close enough, or it even maybe exceeding what you believe your expectations for life are supposed to be, right? So the further that your expectations and your reality are, the more distance in that gap is going to leave for whatever you're supposed to feel. So if your expectations and your reality are here to here, there's a big gap. What's going to fill that? Now, that's up to you, right? The flavor of the emotion, but it could be anger, it could be sadness, frustration, or I don't know, tiredness, fatigue, whatever comes with you will fill that gap. Whereas for me, I have very little expectations. I have the most expectations of myself because that's the only thing I can control. So I have a very stoic view of life. And that's also something I teach. I'm a big believer in stoicism. I base a lot of what I teach off of that because it's done wonders for my life. And so I put a lot of emphasis on what I could do and I let go of everything I can't or I do my best. I'm not always perfect at that. So do my best. And I've also made it that my life, number three, I do a lot of things daily that build me up. You know, like if I had to do 10 things in a day, every day, and nine of them were things that made me happy and only one of them were things that pissed me off. 90% of my day, every day, I would in theory be happy. And so that's how I've built out my life where I say, okay, well, what are the things that I have to do every day? The non-negotiables. So like for me, every day I have to go to the gym and I have to go to the gym because I like it. It makes me feel good. 
I have a body goal I'm working on. I believe in living a healthy fit lifestyle. I know the value in it. And so that cannot change. I spend time with my daughter. She's the greatest thing on this planet. I spend time with my girlfriend. I, I work on all my businesses. Um, I make time to talk to friends. I, I feel like I live a very, a very beautiful life, honestly. And I've made it this way. Because I'll never let anyone take it away from me by saying it was luck or circumstance or chance. I've built this because I used to be a victim. I used to be helpless. I used to be someone who couldn't even make a decision without having a panic attack and had to call his therapist because that's how bad it was. To now, I have people who are running ginormous companies asking how to make a decision, right? So I could have continued being that person and my life could have been nothing of what it is. I took life by the neck and I made it what I wanted. And so I continue to ask myself, how can I do that every day? And I don't have to do as forcefully. Like I had to take it by the neck before, but now I don't. Now I just kind of like take it by the shoulder. I'm like, come on, buddy. <laughs> but <laughs> that's that's what keeps me up or keeps me energetic. Hmm. The non-negotiables, right? Like that consistency, the small atomic habits. Um, so powerful. So what was the catalyst for you? So like going from that victim role. So for hmm. people that who are stuck in their story, in that space of feeling victimized, like what was the catalyst for you to like do, do the damn work and to move beyond it? Uh, you've probably heard the saying at some point in your life, you get sick and tired of being sick and, sick and tired. If you haven't, now you have. But if you have, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> because people don't change because life is good or because life has something better to offer them. Because life realistically has something better to offer all of us. Every day, there's still something I could be doing. There's still more. There's still something better I could do. I could still be better. I could still do better. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think that people that view that as a problem, that's already a problem. But I digress from there because you know, we don't need to talk about that piece. So what I knew was that I was not happy. And I had a moment, I call it my moment in the mirror because that's realistically what it was, where this was... I'll backtrack a little. Before I go to my moment in the mirror, I think it's important to hit you up with a little piece of the story beforehand. Because I was so tired of living as a loser and getting bullied and being a victim and hating my life, I decided that from high school going into college, I needed to make a change. And what was going to change was me. And you might think that this is the defining moment, but it's really not. <laughs> I had decided to shift my name from Vincent to Vincenza. And I wrote that name on all my college transcripts and everything there on out. People came to know me as Vincenzo. People came to you know nickname me Enzo, Vincenz, whatever. And I did that because it was my attempt at trying to rewrite my story. I didn't want to be a loser. Vincent was a loser. Nobody liked him. He had no girlfriend. He had no friends. This guy sucked. I don't want to be him anymore. It's terrible. However, Vincenzo wound up getting attention. Girls liked him. He got his first girlfriend at 19. He made friends in college. He became somewhat cool. However, there was still the inner workings that were not dealt with. So the name was changed and so did the external, right? Like I grew out a beard. I started spiking my hair. I went to the gym. I, I lost some weight. I got in better shape. I became the guy that I wasn't externally, but internally I was still the same guy. 
And now here's the fun part because I wasn't used to the attention and the connection. All of a sudden I developed a codependency. It's like, oh, the girl's not texting me. She must have lost interest because it takes her more than five minutes to answer my message. Or the guys didn't invite me out. They did something without me. So I'm very upset now because they left me out because they must be not wanting to be my friend anymore. And like, literally I would call them and be like, did I do something wrong? They'd be like, what? And it's so funny because now I can look back and I'm like, holy shit, I would not have been friends with me either. But at the time, I couldn't figure it out. It's like, you guys say you're my friends. You say you like me. Talk to me. Whatever. And I was suffering more and more and more as I got older and older, which is funny because I'm going through you know, school, graduated Psychi National Honor Society, got accepted to every master's program I applied to. So I was like learning the stuff about psych, but I wasn't like figuring it out in here. And so as I'm going through and get my master's degree, I'm having like mental breakdown after mental breakdown. Life is getting harder and harder and harder. I finally graduate. 23 years old, probably the youngest kid in my class with a master's degree. 23, master's, about to practice psychotherapy. Have a hot girlfriend, had a nice car, got me a nice Camaro SS. It was white with black racing stripes, had a Corvette engine and 450 horsepower with a performance exhaust system. Okay. And I was, you know, muscular. I had tattoos. I had everything according to society. Had the cool car, the hot girl good looks. But I was still miserable. And I really couldn't figure it out, which led me to a complete and utter moment of frustration. Almost like uh, it's almost like when you're smashing your head into a wall. But this moment felt worse than that. And I accidentally hit my head into a brick wall. So I know what I'm talking about. Anyway, (laughs) I know. (laughs) I go into the bathroom. I'm living at home with my parents at the time. And I go into the bathroom and I just couldn't figure it out. Like I'm standing there in front of the mirror and I slam my hands on the counter and I'm like, what is wrong? Everything. I have everything. Why am I still so miserable? I have everything society tells me I need to be happy. I've got my whole life ahead of me. I'm successful to some degree, right? What is it? And it's funny because I didn't know it until the moment I looked up. I looked up and I saw myself in the mirror and I smiled and I, I still get chills talking about this because I, I remember the feeling. It always rushes back when I tell the story. And I was like, oh my God, I get it now. You're Vincent. And that was the first time mm. in about seven years, I said my actual name, right? From 18 to 23. Wow. I hadn't said my real name. I didn't even, nobody called me that. Nobody would say it. Nobody acknowledged it because nobody knew it. Even my mom got on board with calling me Vincenzo because she knew I wanted it. And I had to talk with her about it. I was like, you have to call me Vincenzo. That's who I am now. Like, (laughs) right. And so in that moment, what it was, was one, a release. Two, it was a level of acceptance. I finally accepted myself, which I had not done for over seven years, right? Because the logic or the kid in me, the hurt kid was like, you're not accepted by society because you're Vincent and he's a loser. When the reality is, it's like, you're not being accepted by certain people because they have their own internal shit that they're projecting on you. And you could have still been loved as Vincent, but instead you're living as a lie and trying to run away from Vincent because you don't know how to deal with it, which makes you a coward. So that moment was me finally being willing to take back my life. And that was something that I wasn't willing to do for a very extended period of time. And I also had to get very honest with myself. 
I had to say, so, you know, who are you? It's like, well, I, at least when I left Vincent <laughs> and the person I am now, it's virtually the same. I'm weak. I'm anxious. I'm sad. I'm depressed. I'm pitied. Nobody likes me. I don't even like myself. You know, I have nothing going for me in, in mental regard. Um, nobody would admire me. I'm not a leader. I'm not inspiring. And I'm just, I am a loser. And that very honest conversation was important because you can't create change if you can't be honest about where you're at, right? It's like you can't start the journey if you're not even at the start. So that acknowledgement was very freeing. And then I asked, do I want to be this way for the rest of my life? And the next answer was absolutely not. And then I asked one more thing. And that was, who do you want to become? And from there, I got very clear. And I said, well, I want to be happy. I want to be a leader. I want to be inspiring. I want to be powerful. I want to help others. I want to be confident. I want to be loving. I want to be excited about life. I don't want to feel, you know, I don't want to feel the way I used to. I want to just become who I'm meant to be. And then the last question was, okay, so what would you have to do if you want to become that person? And this is where I talk about my five aspects of mastery, which is what are the things you'd say, like your language that you'd use? What are the actions and behaviors you would embody? What's the emotions you want to feel more of and how could you achieve that? In fact, how would you deal with situations if you acted out of that emotion? What would your thoughts about life be? And then take each thing you said you want to become, find the five aspects of mastery that match with those, and then do them every single day until you like just until you show the world you're it, right? Because in that moment, when I decided who I want to become, I made a decision. And nobody else was going to see that because you have to become it before the world responds to it. Because as you become it, you will do things to shift your whole world. And the whole world can only notice it once it's apparent, once you do it long enough, once you just step into it fully. And so it was a process for sure, but that was essentially the life-changing moment and then the steps thereafter. Wow. I'm flooded with shivers. That's such a powerful story. And it was almost, well, it was you're abandoning your younger self, right? And then looking at yourself in the mirror, it was like reclaiming that younger mm. version of yourself, right? So powerful. Yeah. Wow. My goodness. <laughs> I could be here all day with you. Uh, we would definitely love to have you back on as a guest again. And for those listening, how can they learn more about your work? How can they learn more about what you're doing? Where can they go to learn more about you? Sure. Well, you let me know and I'll be back. And for the guests, they can find me on my website, which is vincentinfante.life. So it's my whole name, .life. And they could find me on Instagram which is at vin.infanti. And I got the blue check mark, so nobody can impersonate me. So if you're curious, it is literally just me. Um, I, you, those are probably the two best places. If somebody's more professional, you could find me on LinkedIn, same thing, Vin Infanti. And I also recommend checking out my website because I have a free resource on there. So I created this thing. It's called a mission board. It's like a vision board, but it's better because one, I made it. And two, it's more uh, it's more intentional and invites, it invites you to not just make a pretty collage and forget about it on your wall, it invites you to make something that will be the guiding vision for your life, which you will then pair with other tools to have a form of success. And that's free. And I worked on it for all of you. So 
let me help impact a billion lives. Go download the vision board. <laughs> I'll be heading there right after our, our episode for sure. Wow. Thank you so much. Such a gift to have you here. And yeah, uh, just love your vision, love your mission and love the work that you're doing. And before we say goodbye to our listeners who are in the space of wanting to quit or throw in the towel, what is a message of hope that you can give to them today? Hmm. I would tell them there's one YouTube video that always used to get me going. Uh, one of my favorite speakers is Dr. Billy Allsbrooks. Interestingly enough, he's also a rapper. So when you listen to his motivational videos on YouTube, he will sometimes have like rap lyrics and rap verses in there. And he has this, this one YouTube video. It's called Way of the Warrior. So you guys could check it out and I'd recommend it. It's cool. He's got like part one, part two. And there's a few, there's a few lyrics in there that I always found really powerful. But one of the best things that I ever heard from him, and it's one of my number one quotes, like my one, one of my all-time favorite quotes. He said, greatness isn't achieved, it's displayed. And I took that to be my favorite quote to be so powerful because it's true. You already have greatness inside of you. The moment that you're experiencing that's got you down is such a small moment in your life and you are meant for so much more. And not only can the world not see it, you can't see it if you never put it on display because you have to dig deep. You have to find it and it's somewhere in there. You can't go to the store and buy greatness. You can't put it on your grocery list. You can't order it from Amazon Prime in one day. But what you can do is you could figure out what is it that you can give to this world? What is something that can make you feel larger than life if you put it out there? And then chase it relentlessly with everything you have. Mm. And if you fail, that's fine. Fail just means first attempt in learning, which is something that was said to me when I felt like crap because I failed. And that's it. Like you have a duty. You have a duty to show yourself not even the world, just show yourself what you have, show yourself what your greatness is. Don't leave it buried inside of you. Mm. Mic drop. Thank you. Hang you from the arm. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love it. I love it. Oh my goodness. Well, thank you so much, Vin. It's been an absolute pleasure. And yeah, I cannot wait to grab your freebie and just continue to be in your energy online. And yeah, until next time, we'll see you on Dropped In. Thanks. Stay connected. (laughs) Will do for sure. Thank you so much for dropping in with me today. If you loved this episode, I would be forever grateful if you rated and reviewed. And if you feel called to share it with your community on social media, please tag me so I can thank you personally. Until next time, I will see you on Dropped In.